0: Well, friends, again, I'm so thankful that you've joined us during this Easter hour. And as we get into God's word in a moment, it's a reminder that Easter is all about what God can do in the wilderness. You know, the concept of wilderness is a fascinating one, one that has been, on one hand, something that much of humanity has lived in, has tried to survive in, has tried to find shelter and shade and sustenance in. However, in our modern world, many of us we do everything we can to avoid the wilderness. We build things to sustain, we build things to shelter, we build things to protect us from the wild elements, and we live in a space created by human hands. And yet Easter isn't a story about what God does necessarily only in the comfort of our lives, but ultimately what God can do in the hardest, rockiest, most desolate experiences of all. On one hand, you can zoom out and look at the fullness of scripture and realize that God didn't create us for the wilderness. In fact, God created us for a garden. In Genesis chapter two, we see that God placed the first humans in the garden. They cared for and cultivated the earth. They were whole in their relationship with God, with each other, with themselves and all of creation. And yet those first humans, they chose their way rather than God's way. And immediately they experienced a wilderness while still in the garden. They were filled with shame. They hid from God, they blamed each other, they tried to cover themselves, and yet God provided a way. And the story of all of scripture is humanity then moving out into the wilderness and yet God leaving the garden and following humanity sustaining humanity, saving humanity in the midst of the wilderness. And we find throughout the Old Testament that Jacob meets with God in the wilderness. Moses meets with God in the wilderness. You have Ezra and Nehemiah and Isaiah and so many others meeting God in the midst of the wilderness. And throughout the entire experience of all of these things, we were reminded that God can do whatever God wants to do, not just in the easy, comfortable places, but in the desert places as well. As the New Testament begins, it says that a voice cries out in the wilderness, I prepare a way for the Lord. I make paths straight in the desert. When Jesus was called to his earthly ministry after he was baptized, immediately God led him out into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted. As the writer of Hebrews says, in every way that we've been tempted and yet was without sin. The gospel according to Mark is a gospel set in the setting of wilderness. Constantly, Jesus is withdrawing away from the crowds away from the towns, away from the city, away from comfort to the wilderness, to be with God, to spend time in prayer. And remarkably, Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry was taken outside the city gates, was crucified in the wilderness. What is this theme that runs throughout all of scripture and yet we find ourselves in our modern world constantly trying to avoid? My invitation, friends, is that you would see Easter, again, not through the oasis of comfort, but from the wilderness of discomfort. On this Easter Sunday and every day, we need the reminder that God doesn't just bless us and is with us only in the comfortable, easy places, but that God sustains and saves us in the hardest, darkest, most wilderness places of all. To understand these things, we also again have to go back into the Hebrew scriptures. And there's two pictures that I want us to pick up to understand that help give meaning to that Easter Sunday and the meaning of what Christ has accomplished from the wilderness and from the darkness. One of those things is actually in the story of the nation of Israel, we find that, Here we have God's people enslaved in Egypt in many ways experiencing the wilderness of being apart from God and enslaved in horrific ways. And God calls Moses from the desert out of the burning bush reminding Moses, I am who I am. He equips him. He sends them before Pharaoh and rescues the nation of Israel and brings them out of the wilderness of slavery. But scripture says that he does not lead them to the promised land through the short route. He leads them to the promised land through the longest route possible, through the wilderness. Could it be that God actually invites us into the wilderness, and could it be that in the wilderness, we, we reach the end of ourselves? Isn't it true that in the wilderness, we don't have within our own resources, the ability to provide shelter, to provide water, to provide sustenance. And so as God led them out of the wilderness of Egypt into the wilderness, it was God alone who had to provide for them. God provided manna for them in the desert. God provided God's presence in the desert. And in the midst of that, there are two pictures, two scenes that happen in the beginning of those 40 years and at the end of those 40 years, first found in the beginning of Exodus, the next found at the end of Numbers, where oddly enough, there is a rock that God commands Moses to strike with his staff. And as he strikes that rock, water comes forth when you see this imagery perhaps reading through the first time it seems odd that that water would come out of a rock that God would ask Moses to take his staff and strike the rock but it's also important to understand that what had just happened was God's people often doing what we often do we look around at our situation and we feel like God is absent you see they were in the wilderness and they failed to see God's provision, and they complained to God. And in the Hebrew language, it literally means that they lodged a formal complaint. They sued God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted to go back to Egypt. You see, they had gotten out of Egypt, but Egypt hadn't gotten out of them. They were set free from slavery, but they were still enslaved in their hearts, And so when God called Moses to pick up his staff, that staff represented the the judgment of God, perhaps the punishment from God. And of all things, God asked Moses not to strike the people, but to strike the rock in the midst of their complaining in the midst of them wanting nothing to do with God, in the midst of them uh, seeing the wilderness as bigger than the provision of their God, God sustained, God provided, not just manna, but also water. In many ways, you can look at that and think that's remarkable. And yet Paul reveals to us a deeper truth, a greater truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I wanna read this to you. He He speaks back to that setting, speaks back to that scene. He says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and the wilderness and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank, listen to this, They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Friends, I want you to catch this. Here Paul is saying that the rock that Moses struck with the judgment of God that provided drink to them, not only followed them, through the wilderness. I just want you to imagine this for a moment. They, they spend 40 years in the wilderness and their water source, their water fountain was a, a rock that followed them. What can God do in the wilderness? God can make rocks move. But he goes on to say that it wasn't just a physical rock. He says that rock was Christ. Many, many centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ was the Word of God who came in many forms. He is the eternal part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And Paul says that that rock that followed them in the wilderness, that sustained them, that that nourished them, that prevented them from drying up and getting dehydrated and dying, that spiritual rock was Christ. And so friends, on one hand, this question of what can God do in the wilderness? God can sustain us. If you've been with us in this Lent season, leading up to Easter, we've been exploring the suffering that comes in the wilderness experiences of our lives. The suffering that comes when we lose a loved one, when there's a death of a dream. The suffering that we experience when we've been betrayed or abandoned We've been marching through this Lent season that began on Ash Wednesday, leading up to Good Friday. We've been reminded of how Christ meets us in the wilderness, how Christ meets us in the midst of our suffering. On Easter Sunday, it's a reminder that Christ sustains us, that he is our rock in the wilderness. That's the first picture from the Old Testament that gives more meaning to what God can do in the wilderness experiences of our lives. And the second is this. You see, as they move throughout the wilderness, the nation of Israel for those 40 years, God provides for them, not just manna. Uh, God doesn't just provide for them water. God provides for them an identity. He says that you are my chosen people, a precious possession. God reminds them of who God is, that there is no other God like me. God provides for them the river banks for how he longs for them to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other through the 10 commandments. God provides for them a way for them to see the seriousness of their brokenness through the sacrificial system. Of course, before they go into the wilderness, there's that famous scene of the Passover lamb on the last of the many miraculous deeds that God did through Moses to Pharaoh to let God's people go. The last was that all the firstborn of Egypt were to be struck down by judgment. But the nation of Israel was called to, to sacrifice an unblemished Passover lamb, to take that blood and to, to wipe it over the doorposts and covered, By that blood, by that sacrifice, the judgment of God would pass over the nation of Israel. And as they go out into the wilderness during those 40 years, God instituted a sacrificial system that was simply just a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice to come that was Jesus on the cross. But one of those sacrifices happened every year on a day called Yom Kippur the day of atonement. And there is great detail given as to the significance and what is to happen on that day. And it's found in Leviticus chapter 16. You see, there were three sacrifices on that day. There was a bull and two goats. Now follow me here because I believe this gives more meaning to what Christ has accomplished in the wilderness of Easter, in the wilderness of our lives. Those two goats, uh, the high priest would gather two unblemished goats and he would cast lots, in a sense, giving the choice to God over which goat would be which sacrifice. One of them was a burnt offering to the Lord. The second was the Oz Azel. This Hebrew word is two words put together Oz A Z means goat. Azel means the one who carries. This goat that carries. What does the goat carry? In this remarkable foreshadow of what Christ accomplished on the cross, the high priest would lay both of his hands on this Azazel, this scapegoat, And in laying both of his hands on the goat, he would confess the sins of not only himself, but he would confess the sins of all the nation of Israel. The iniquities of the people would be laid upon the scapegoat and the scapegoat would be led outside the camp, out into the wilderness. It would be led into the the rockiest, the most treacherous, the most desolate places, the most uninhabitable places in the wilderness so that it would die there, ensuring that it would never come back to the camp, bringing the sins of the people back. And so year after year, for 40 years in the wilderness, there was this practice. While on one hand being nourished, from the water that came from the rock that followed them, there would be this scapegoat that would carry the sins of the people out into the wilderness. When Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't crucified in the city square. He wasn't crucified within the city. The writer of Hebrews says that he was led outside the city gates. And when you have an understanding of the Hebrew scriptures and the story of the scapegoat, you begin to realize that all the imagery of then is being placed on Jesus now. Jesus, as our Passover lamb, his blood covers over our sins. But in addition to that, he is our scapegoat. You see, Isaiah 53 says that the iniquities of us all have been laid on Jesus. He has been crushed for our iniquities. He has been wounded, and by his wounds, we are healed. And all of this happens out in the wilderness. I want you to imagine for a moment that it is the water that sustains us and it is Christ's blood that saves us. And the imageries of that spiritual rock that is Christ and the blood of the goat, the scapegoat, both of those things are what God did back then for the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And all of those are a foreshadow, a sign of what Christ is doing for us now. You know, when Christ was pierced, in his side on the cross, it says the two things float out, water and blood. What can God do in the wilderness? God can sustain, God can save. And when we look at our lives, on one hand, we we know what the wilderness experiences feel like when we lose someone, when we experience death, when we experience heartache, And yet when you zoom out and see the fullness of scripture, that in actual fact, compared to the garden that God designed for us to live in forever, all of our life is a wilderness. When you begin to realize that even in the best moments of your life, that in comparison to being in perfect union with God, it is in fact a wilderness. In fact, we need the wilderness though much of our lives are ordered around comfort, ordered around the oasis, we need the wilderness because it is there that we reach the end of ourselves. It is there where we cry out to God, where we ask God to sustain us, God to carry us, God to save us. We will never understand Easter until we understand the wilderness and that God meets us in the midst of it that God actually leads us into these places to grow in us trust, to grow in us faith, to grow in us hope, to grow in us resilience. And so friends, on this Easter Sunday, as we consider not only the good and the bad and the ugly in our lives, would you know that Jesus shines his light and his life into the darkest and the most wilderness places of all? As we continue throughout this worship service, I'm gonna come back in a bit to invite us to consider how we might invite Jesus more and more into our life. But until then, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you have defeated death, that you burst forth from the tomb, that on that Easter morning, that in the wilderness and in the dark, you accomplished all the things that the Old Testament foreshadowed that you have lived the most perfect life, that you died a sacrificial death. As it says in scripture, that you who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ, we thank you that you have paid it all, that you sustain us, that you save us. May we turn to you in our wilderness places. It's in your name we pray and we say together, Amen.